good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Bryce Gray. I've been an elder here for 12 years or so. And my wife, Melissa, and I have been attending for about 26 years coming up. And that was my uh, son that sang the song. You know, one thing that we all have in common today, whether you've only been coming for a couple weeks or 40 years, is we all had a first day at Grace. Ours occurred back in 1988. We'd been married a little more than two weeks. We're driving from the East Coast back to Chicago. And we were coming to the community to interview for a parachurch ministry position. We got off the highway at Maras, and there was a church, and I needed to get a suit on. So we did the U-turn that all of you have done probably many times. Back in those days, they didn't lock the church all day long, so we could actually get in, change our clothes. As it turned out, uh, they offered us the job, and we sensed that God wanted us to come. And a few weeks later, we said, well, why don't we try that church we changed clothes in? Uh, unbeknownst to us, the church, which has now been around, I think, close to 115 years, um, the pastor that was preaching had been there a little bit less than a year. He was a young, dynamic guy who had played football in college and just really connected with him, and we never went anywhere else. So that's our story of grace. Um, a lot has changed in 25 years. A lot of great victories, incredible moments, like when we moved into this church, and there have been some challenges, and there have been some transitions, and as you all know, we're in the midst of a transition now. But one thing I can assure you, God has been so faithful to our church. Many of us... Mm. Many of us were here when Al Coonley came in as an interim in the midst of a real trying time and brought peace and healing. And as we face this new transition, I just want to encourage you, God is in control, God is faithful, he's at work, and he still wants to draw people like you and me closer and closer to him. I'd like to pray as I begin. Lord, I ask that you would speak to each heart here today. We want to hear your voice. I ask that you would bring clarity to our lives. We invite you to continue working in us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was with my nearly 80-year-old mother recently, and when she was my age, she quit her job, put everything she owned in a storage container, and moved to Israel for a three-month archaeological dig. She continues to look back on that time as one of the most significant parts of her life. Um, she'll kind of get glassy-eyed as she talks about what it was like to be where Jesus was, to, to, to see the things come to life that she'd write about in scriptures. One of the things she said to me a couple weeks ago was, she said, you know, I often wonder, if I had lived back when Jesus was on earth, what kind of follower of his would I have been? I was to be described by one of the characters we read about in the New Testament, which one would I most closely resemble? And that comment got me thinking, you know, what, what kind of follower of Jesus would I have been? There's a good chance I'd have probably been a Pharisee, you know, could have memorized a lot of the Bible and been really, you know, on top of my game and looked down on other people that didn't quite follow the rules like me. Maybe that would have been your story. Or maybe we'd have been like some of the people who were drawn to Jesus, but when their leaders told them, He's of the devil. If you follow him, we're kicking you out. Maybe we wouldn't have quite had the courage to risk much to follow him. I often wonder if I'd been sick back then or if one of my children had been, would I have had 
the just sense to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Would I have disrupted meetings? Would I have been willing to carry somebody on a mat into a crowded house and if there was no room, go through the roof just so that Jesus could touch them and heal them? I wonder if I'd have been privileged to be asked to be one of his disciples. Would I have really understood what he was about or would I have really been thinking this is the political plan. He's going to free us from Rome. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be one of the lieutenants on the new coup when it gets established. Or I wonder if I saw him feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. If I'd have been like they were. It says in John 6 that the next day Jesus had gone to the other side of the lake at night. People were running around the shore to find Jesus. And when they finally found him, he looked at them and it's as if he said with a little sadness, you know, I tell you, you're not following me because you are grasping the spiritual connection. You're following me because I fed your stomach. And in light of the passage that we're going to look at this morning, I want to ask you, what kind of follower of Jesus are you? You know, I've really enjoyed our time in Philippians the past couple months, and I think the biggest takeaways for me have been the people that have been the illustrations in the scripture. You know, it starts with Jesus in chapter 2, verse 5, where Paul says, you should have this kind of mindset. Think like Jesus did. He was God. He created the world, but he didn't consider that something to hold on to. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He died on the cross for us. I think of him the night before he was, or the night he was betrayed in the garden praying, and he's kind of going, God, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, as he was approaching Jerusalem, Towards the end, he was kind of trying to make sure the disciples understood what was really happening. And he took them aside and he said, I just want you to know, this isn't the political freedom game. They're going to reject me. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise again. And Peter was like, are you kidding me? That's not happening. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then we got to learn a little bit about Timothy in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy, and you know, I have no one else like him who has a genuine concern for your well-being. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then we had that guy with the long name, Epaphroditus, my fellow worker, fellow soldier. He said he nearly died for the sake of the gospel. And it reminds me of Jesus saying in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Then we got to Paul. The last time we were in, in Philippians chapter 3, he began to tell about his kind of resume, his credentials, and he said, you know, I was, a, I was a pretty good religious guy. I was Jewish. I was a Pharisee, and, you know, I was perfect in keeping the rules, and on my weekends off, I got letters and went to other cities and arrested Christians. I was kind of all in. I was zealous, but he goes, something happened in my life that changed me. You know, he kind of fit the, the, the kind of description of a Pharisee that Jesus, I think, meant when he said, outwardly you appear righteous, but inwardly there's greed, there's lawlessness. Everything the Pharisees did, Jesus said, was done to be seen by men. And so Paul throws away his resume and he says, you know, I've got a new goal now. My goal is to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. I liked what Brian shared a couple weeks ago, this new twist to the Lord's Prayer where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth 
and in me as it is in heaven. So Paul says his goal, as we heard about last time, I want to know the reality of Christ, and I want his kingdom power in my life. That's all I care about. And we ended with what to me was a very comforting part, where he says in verses 14, um, it's not that I'm perfect, I haven't arrived, but I forget yesterday's, last week's, last year's compromise and mistake and sin. And I, today I'm pressing on. Today I'm going after that goal. Well, today I'm going to invite you to join me on a journey. And it's going to require you to be willing to ask God to help you understand, really, what kind of follower of Jesus are you today? My prayer is that you're going to hear his voice today. Whether it's a tender whisper or if it's a sledgehammer shouting. And that you'll respond to what he says. So let's turn to today's passage. It's Philippians Chapter 3, we're looking at 15 through the first verse and 4. If you want to use one of the Bibles underneath your chair, it's page 832. And he says this, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. And I love how he kind of lays out for us, what does it mean to be mature? What is spiritual maturity? He says, it's pretty simple. You think like I do. And if you're not that kind of a follower yet, God will show you. Live up to what you've already received. I love the way that the message translation phrases this paragraph. Because it crystallizes what to me is the point of what God wants us to hear today. It says this, so let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. What is spiritual maturity? He says, it's those who want everything God has for them. This is how we should think. The rest of our passage can basically be summarized by this. Paul says, find people that think like I do and emulate them. Beware of the opposite mindset. And when it's all said and done, think like I do. God's at work. Let's read it. He says in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I love how verse 17 gives a picture to us. I don't know what you think of when you think of the concept of discipleship, but you know, the, 
the last thing Jesus left with the disciples wasn't go and convert everybody, and it wasn't get everyone to say a prayer. It was make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who is seeking to model their life after someone else. In our case, it's Jesus. And what Paul says in verse 17 is, join me in following this mindset, this example I have of wanting all that God has for me, knowing Christ is reality. And take note of people who live this way. And I want to encourage you, that's discipleship. Find someone who's further along in their journey than you are, that when you look at their life, there's something attractive about the way they live out their faith, and, and spend time with them. Ask them to teach you what they know, to mentor you, to come alongside of you. And then he says, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that don't live this way. Their God is their stomach. Life for them, really, it's about, it's about food and sex. They're proud about things they should be ashamed of. Their mind is set on earthly things. And he repeats this concept of the mindset we need to change often in his writings. In Romans 12, he says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Galatians, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled, be empowered by God's presence. And then in Colossians, it's almost the exact same wording as we read here. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. As he said, Jesus was, have this attitude. Not my will, but yours be done. So, he says, at the beginning of our passage, all of us then who are mature should think like this. All of you who want everything God has for you, think this way. And the great promise of this passage to me is what he says in verse 16. And if on some point you think differently, God will clear your blurred vision. So the question of the morning is, are you a follower of Jesus who wants everything God has for you? Or is your mind set on earthly things? And is your God really your appetites and your desires? Or are you still relying on the old religious system of trying hard to impress God or others that you're righteous and you're religious? While you're on this journey, take note of people who are living the way that Paul's describing. In essence, that's the passage that we need to look at today. The million-dollar question, however, for us is, how do you do it? Great. Thanks for telling me I'm supposed to be more in love with Jesus. How do you turn from being a person whose life is basically about what you can see in the here and now to becoming someone like Paul describes where you say, I count all those religious trappings as worthless because I now, I now want to be in a relationship where my heart is ravished by God's love. As we transition this morning, I want to invite you to say a prayer along with me while you're sitting where you are. Here's the prayer, if you're willing to say, God, I ask you to clear my blurred vision. Help me to see what is true about my faith journey. Help me to be able to say, I want everything you have for me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I felt led to share a little bit of how this has played out in my own journey with you this morning. 
And I got to tell you, I wish I could say I just had this one event that God just kind of shazammed me like he did with the Apostle Paul. And I'm different. But there have been some key points. As Brian said last week in his message about the Kairos events, that there are times in life where God does something that if you, if you hear what he's saying and you respond, your whole trajectory of your life can be different. And I hope that somehow something this morning affects you in this way. The first thing I want to share with you is something that happened five or six years ago. I was uh, watching a video. It was a documentary that was produced in 2007. The gentleman that produced it had relatives that had been having some really amazing experiences in their faith. He almost didn't think it was real, so he set out to try to interview people and, and understand it. He did a lot of interviews in America as well as around the world. And while much of the video was really hard for me to stomach and to understand what God was up to, the scene I want to show you this morning rocked my world. In the scene, there's a guy who is a Turkish pastor. They're in Turkey. They're out praying for a woman who is a Muslim. You're going to see the picture of this Turkish pastor, and you're going to see the picture of this woman. Her name is Heidi Baker. She runs an orphanage in Mozambique, and she's just oozing with God's presence. And I'd like you guys to watch this, and then we'll go on. This was a moment of discovery for me. Heidi Baker had joined us in Turkey, and here she was, praying for a Muslim woman to receive sight in one of her eyes. But she had to rely on the interpreter to communicate. While Heidi simply wanted to love the woman and pray for her, the interpreter, who was a Turkish pastor, wanted to convert the woman first. We like to pray for her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. We pray for The struggle continued. On one side, love with no obligations. On the other, religion with an agenda. The difference couldn't have been clearer. I am telling her. Uh, I'm telling her, I'm telling her, Jesus did the healing, not the others. Because tell her it's in the Quran. But she doesn't believe In the Quran? In the Quran, the Quran is written. Allah is written, and you are written. Yes, yes, yes. Allah is written. I'm telling her that Jesus is saying is your savior. He's your God is Jesus, and he's the one who's gonna save you. He's the one who's gonna heal you. But he says keep saying no, Muhammad. No. So I know. Illiterate. It's so just so Merciful stupid. Jesus, you have to love them because only way to reach them is love them. Keep loving. Keep loving. Keep loving. Because if you keep loving, Jesus will her asthma. She'll remember when she's breathing well. I love her, but 
you see, when I saw that, I was that pastor. I had the theology, I had the rules, but I didn't have the love. My faith was in a nice little box that I could control and argue about. I've gone to church my whole life. From a young age, I was told how important it was to read the Bible, and it is. I probably read the Bible from cover to cover most of the years I've been alive. But Heidi Baker was filled with a love and a compassion that was just infectious to me. When I watched that, it was, a, it was an event to me where I, I realized I don't have that. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm doing the best I know how to follow him. But if I'm honest, the love of Jesus is not flowing from my heart. It was a huge experience for me. Unfortunately, while that got me started, it didn't, it didn't necessarily change much. The next event I want to articulate to you happened almost four years ago. It was a listening room that Doug was leading. And I was sitting right down in the front. Where John is. It was the last year of my oldest son's high school. And it wasn't a very fun one. There were a lot of battles for control. A lot of anger and frustration. And as I sat here, I was at my wit's end. Doug was guiding us through in the listening rooms how you can have an experience here in church that you can do back in your home. How do you quiet yourself? How do you listen to God? And in one of the times of listening, he said, I just want you to listen to the music being played and ask God to speak. And I heard something from the Lord that was probably one of the clearest things I've heard from him up to that point. And this is what he said. It just takes one word from me to change everything for him. Will you trust me? I'd been pulling on levers, I'd been pushing on buttons, I'd been praying, I'd been fasting, I'd been accusing, I'd been punishing, I'd been disciplining, I'd been at my wit's end. And God said, don't you get it? You can't change a heart. Will you trust me? It was a simple statement, but it's been a journey living it out. I really thank the Lord for that word. As best I knew how, I said, God, I want to trust you. And in an amazing, to me at least, amazing thing was that it wasn't long after that experience that God actually started working. It wasn't a fast journey, but most of the work was in me. And the third thing I want to share about the journey is this concept of discipleship. I can't tell you how incredibly impactful it's been to me in the last four or five years to be journeying with a mentor, a spiritual mentor, someone to disciple me, someone that I could let my, my veneer down with and say, 
look what's going on in my family and my parenting. And to hear him say to me, well, why'd you do that? Why'd you discipline that way? Did Jesus tell you to do that? How's it working for you, Bryce? I would come in and I'd make statements like, you know, I want, I want all that God has for me. And he'd look me in the eye and he goes, no, you don't. You're deluded. When are you going to wake up? You love, your, you love this life of this sense of control. It's too important for you to win little league games. It's too important for you to be appearing to have this image of having it together. You're kidding yourself. If I had not had that kind of friendship to me, I would have most likely been stuck like the Turkish pastor. The next significant event for me was probably around three years ago or so. I was at a retreat, and the topic of the retreat is called the false self. And I've really struggled with how to succinctly communicate the point I'm trying to get across here. But it's almost easier to start with what's your true self. The true self would be the person that Jesus has made you to be. Maybe it's back when you were young, like Lexa up here on the stage earlier dancing, where you don't have all the inhibitions and you don't have all the fear and the ego concerns or you haven't been beaten up by the world yet. It's who God wants you to be in your purest form. So the false self is the opposite of that. It's the persona, it's the way of coping, it's what you do to make yourself feel good, to feel like you fit in. And what became crystal clear to me throughout this weekend was that I'm an achiever. That's my false self. I like winning. I like accomplishing. Reading the Bible through, I can check that every day. I feel good about myself. I've got my religious stuff going. Got a lot of education. I've worked really hard. But have I really let God into my heart? Have I really become like Heidi, full of love? Or is there a lot of religion in it? And it's keeping me from what God wants me to experience. I was challenged, do you really know what it means to, to be loved by God? Or are you just working for him? I went on a sabbatical from being an elder a couple years ago. And during that time, I was really challenged to say, let's, let's slow down. Let's stop doing all the stuff you're doing. Can you just be? Or are you just a doer? been amazing for me to own how deep my earthly mindset really is. The last little vignette I want to share with you is a fun one. It, it happened a little bit less than a year ago. I was on a business trip to Chicago. We were going to be meeting with someone that I've known for a number of years. But six months prior to our meeting, God had really begun to do some amazing things in his life. And as he shared some of the testimonies of what God had been doing and the way that they're praying with people and they're getting healed and there's this love, it was as if I was seeing in a businessman's clothing, Heidi Baker, who I'd seen in this video five years ago. And I was just so excited to be drawn to a person who was living out an exciting sense of overflow of the spirit in his life. He has eight kids. That might be part of my affinity with him, with my six. But he's come a few times into our community in the last year with his family. And he's just, he's shared, and it's been so inspiring. And it's so, it to me, is the picture of what Paul said in verse 17. Join me in following my example and take note of people who live this way. And I just want to encourage you again. 
Look for someone whose faith inspires you and invite them to pour into you, to flesh this out, to make it more real. So the question I'm asking you to ask yourself today is, are you the kind of follower of Jesus who wants everything he has for you? Or are you maybe a deluded Pharisee like I was, depending on your own efforts or achieving and stroking your, your ego? Are you maybe a, a bit deluded and if you're honest, if, if Jesus were to give you kind of a cross-examination, you'd have to go, yeah, I'm pretty much focused on food and sex and kind of boasting about things I probably won't care much about when I'm in heaven and kind of have an earthly, not a heavenly mindset. I want to encourage you. God says that he will be at work clearing your blurred vision. I want to end by just referring to a passage in Revelation that, that I just think sums up the whole thing that, that we're talking about this morning. There's a series of letters that Jesus dictates to the Apostle John to write to churches, and we're going to look at the last one. It's um, called the Church in Laodicea. And in essence, this is what Jesus is saying. He says first, I know your deeds. I know you. You're really not on fire for me, not cold. You're kind of lukewarm. But you think you're doing just fine. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything. And he says, and you don't understand that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Those I love, I rebuke. So be earnest and repent. And he goes, here's my advice. Buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire. Buy from me clothing to cover your shameful nakedness. And here's the part for this morning. And buy from me ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. That's what my journey's been. It's a journey of God pulling back this religious veil of having the answers, trying to convert people to saying, Jesus, I want to see more clearly. I want to be someone who could say like Paul, I just want to know your reality in my life. And then in that little letter in Revelation, Jesus ends by, in essence, saying this. Have you heard your phone? Have you heard the tweet go off? Have you, have you got my text? I want to date you. Can we go out to dinner? Can you get to know that this is a relationship? That I really, I love you. I know you're a mess. I know that you don't have it together. You're broken. That's why I came. You know, what did Jesus say to the religious Pharisees that were in his face about hanging out with all the pagans, the sinners, and the prostitutes? He said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. I've come to reach out to the broken ones. We're going to close with a song that more and more has been stirring in my heart in the last year. It talks about having a hunger for God's presence and his reality in your life. And as we transition to this point, I just want to encourage you as you're sitting where you are, if this song expresses the desire of your heart, I just would encourage you to just Raise your hands and, and be all in. But some of you might need to sit here quietly and 
You may have come in here today like I was here four years ago, and you might just have your life might be falling apart. You might just feel like if God doesn't do a miracle, I'm sinking. And I would just encourage you to sit quietly and listen for his voice. Might he be saying to you, it just takes one word from me to change everything. Will you trust me? And some of us might need to just repent and confess and say, God, I've been, I've been dependent on myself. I've been, I've been just, I'm a worldly mindset person. I'm not thinking about you. Just invite you to let God move in your heart as we sing.